You're listening to the Reversing Climate Change podcast by the team at Nori, the carbon removal marketplace. This is a show about the innovators and entrepreneurs developing solutions to climate change. Hello and welcome to the Reversing Climate Change podcast with Nori. I'm Ross Kenyon. I'm Nori's creative editor. Wow, I haven't done this in so long. I'm actually in person with someone. I'm not just staring at Zoom, communicating across thousands of miles. I have a colleague of mine here, Amanda Yee, senior product designer at Nori and designer of Nori's new logo. Hey, Amanda. Hey, what's up? Nothing too much. Excited to talk about this logo you designed, which is a nice feather in your cap. We're all super pleased with it. I bet you're riding a nice high of that right now. Yeah, definitely. I didn't expect to put that feather in my cap either. I feel like that's something that oftentimes companies look outside of the company to do. They hire an agency for or something. Mm Mm-hmm. That's pretty common. Yeah, definitely. How did that process even happen? Well, so we were preparing for our token launch, and I noticed that we weren't, we didn't have like a symbol in our existing brand style guide that would work for it. And that's kind of what got the ball rolling and just realizing that, oh, we need to start at the root, which is our brand. And that's what kicked it off. <laughs> Every time we've done an episode about this, which has been, I think there's been at least one, we had our former head of product, Michael Leggett, on back in the day and we talked about design and they made me read the design of everyday things which you were telling me that you've read before Mm -hmm. which is a great book if you haven't read it it gave me permission that when something when i fail to interact with something successfully i no longer blame myself or blame myself nearly as much i've given myself permission to blame the designer yep right that i totally agree yeah good design should go unnoticed so those like push and pull doors which is a big (laughs) <laughs> I feel like it's a whole chapter or multiple chapters oh, yeah. in that book. That's a great yeah. example. People should just know to push or just know to pull. Yeah. If you've ever done a bad job at opening a door, it's not your fault. You can, <laughs> you can let it go. It's just bad design. Uh, so I think about that all the time, actually. It's been nice to let that one go. One thing you said, though, caught my ear, which is that design is supposed to be invisible. And I think it's something that people take for granted. They only ever notice it if it's bad or if it's exceptional. Yeah. So I would say that there's more nuance to that statement than I initially gave. So for user experience design, I believe that that should just be totally seamless. The person shouldn't even realize that they're struggling to do something because it has been so well designed. This is like working through a website or an app or something? Yeah, exactly. And then working with visual design that should be really nice and that should be noticed and it should create an emotion. So yeah, you want that to notice that one. (laughs) Visual design, you want some sort of reaction. UX, you want it just to be seamless. Mm -hmm. So like two very extreme examples right there. I have an example I thought of. Do you know Cy Twombly? No. (laughs) Uh, A visual artist. And I went to an exhibit in Houston years ago and I went with a bunch of my friends who were way cooler than me. They always made me feel like Hank Hill. Because I was always <laughs> just like, you know, dressing kind of square relatively. They would be dressed like um, something like David Byrne from the Talking Heads might wear, like an oversized suit that's bright orange or something. It's mm-hmm. like, I, I'm just not, I'm just not this cool. <laughs> but anyway, Cy Twombly had these like enormous canvases that would stretch across the entire wall. and would have like a little squiggle in the bottom left and then like a bunch of crayons on it. It really pissed me off. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like still angry. I paid thirty dollars to see that. <laughs> Is that good visual design? It evoked an annoying emotion in me. Yeah. Well, so there's also a difference between design and art. 
And what you were just talking about was, I assume, art. You assume, but who can <laughs> I guess say? it's in, in the eye of the beholder. <laughs> so is that an appropriate application of this idea or is it is it different somehow? Like it provoked me. Is that an example of if you design something for Nori that provoked a negative emotion, would that be a, an example of successful design? It depends if I wanted you to feel something negatively about it. Hmm. Like like <laughs> if you were showing the world being destroyed, you might be trying to evoke that negative emotion. Yeah. Although I don't believe at Nori we would want someone to feel negatively about it. We would want to turn it into something of hope <laughs> and <laughs> that we can do something about it. Yeah. So you think even starting from someplace kind of negative and showing that with this product or with this company, some horrible outcome might be averted. You're thinking that still that initial negativity might overwhelm the positive still in the mind. Yeah. 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 Hmm. So one, one example, this is a tangent. I was watching Seaspiracy. Have you seen that uh, documentary? Yeah, I, I saw that. yeah. It was very like shock and awe. It made and me really sad, actually. It made me so sad. Yeah. And I think that was by design to leverage that sadness and show that type of action happening. It also ends with, well, kind of an optimistic note, but a lot of it, I think, remembers like write your congressperson or here's the things that you can mm-hmm. do, stop eating fish or these kinds of fish. But <laughs> the emotion that resonates with me still to this day is probably that uh, shocked negativity yeah. more than hope. But maybe that negative emotion can still be useful in some cases, maybe not. Yeah. Sounds like maybe at least for Nori specifically, you think that's probably not the emotion that we're driving toward. I don't think so. No. Huh. Although, I don't know. You also work at Nori. What do you think? I think in general, we we have always started from a position of optimism. I think if we, it's sort of revealed in our choices too. If we weren't optimistic, why would you bother working at a company like this? Make your own stockpile. I love this conversation and every time it comes up because, well, when we were doing the logo design and you were asking for feedback, the kinds of things you notice make me laugh. <laughs> just because i love watching designers work and the things that you notice and think about are so yeah we take them for granted especially if you don't have that kind of training in that eye i think people listening might not realize how much opportunity there is for people who do have a design background who aren't just hardcore hard science people to get involved in this space i think a lot of attention goes to you know people who are figuring out new ways to use minerals spread in certain ways, reacting with air to pull carbon dioxide out or to pump carbon dioxide underground. Designing beautiful user experiences seems fundamentally different. What do you think those people might be missing? So I also thought something similar as well when I was first trying to transition into this, into the climate space. So I came from a very traditional like B2B SaaS sales and marketing company. And when looking for a job in climate, I was wondering how could I as a designer actually do something with my time that could help reverse climate change? And I was thinking like, oh, I have to become a scientist. I have to become an engineer. I got to go back to school. (laughs) And I believe people think that because that's what surfaced in the news and the media. It's the actual actions of reversing climate change. And I think it's because it's also carbon dioxide is invisible, right? So it's hard to (laughs) sort of picture yourself fixing it and fixing those problems around you. People always talk about the difficulty of telling a climate change story because it is abstract 
It's dilute in the atmosphere too, 400 something parts per million. It's super small. It's not visible. I've heard Paul often say that if carbon dioxide were visible somehow, more might have been done about it already. Think about mm-hmm. visible air pollution or smog in LA, something like that. It's like immediately offensive. Place. Yeah. <laughs> you notice it immediately. So it's one of the reasons why Nori has been so interested in creative endeavors and maybe design is just an extension of that. So that's interesting. You see your job as telling a story. Is that that's mm-hmm. kind of what you're saying? Yeah. And really one of the superpowers of designers is that they're great at communication in terms of how they can visually communicate ideas that are invisible, have them understood by other people in different types of audiences. Do you have a, it's okay if you don't, but do you have an example at hand of how how you've been able to work through that process? Taking something that's functionally invisible, rendering it not so. So I'm think one idea that comes to mind is on our website, we didn't really do a good job showing people what they're getting. And we still don't do a super great job of that. There's still room for improvement there. But we've taken steps to bring to the forefront the farmers that you're actually buying carbon removals from and helping tell that story. So showing their faces and showing like, these are the people, this is the actual land you're buying carbon removals from. And these are the regenerative agriculture practices that you're helping. People even ask us for more of that sometimes too. I was just talking to the demand team about that. Mm -hmm. People want to know, they want to know who's this farmer. They want to be linked to their Twitter. They want to have real-time access to this person. They want to know exactly which field this occurred on. People want that kind of interaction and how many design choices go into making that a uh, pleasing experience? So many. Like <laughs> countless. So many design choices. So many choices in general. Like what do people want to know? Who wants to know this? What What's the best way to share this type of information? What do they need to know at this point in time? There's a lot more questions. <laughs> this is so much of my life too, because we produce a huge number of assets, textual, visual, audio, Audio? That's not right. This is audio. But audio? Audio is not Oh, (laughs) audio. I just made that word up. Audio. (laughs) I guess oral, but like A-U-R-A-L, like of the ear, whatever. This is, (laughs) was I even saying something important? It's hard to say now, but we produce so much content. And if you look on the website, one of these, it's often called information architecture of just how one navigates through this site, how one finds one's way to different types of content that is being offered and we've done it almost by persona. So like if you're coming at it from a B2B angle, it's this. If you like the crypto angle, it's this. If you're a farmer, you're coming from supply, go look over here. But there's more pages than are listed. They aren't always nested in the correct way. There isn't always like a natural flow to working one's way through it. So you, we're at this design impasse, at least with creative, of trying to figure out what good is additional content if the design process of working through this is not intuitive. It's not a controlled release of information if it's just like, Here's 50 walls of text that you can <laughs> randomly find yourself toward with no call to action and no, I'm willing to say that's a, probably a failure of design leadership on my end. Like, where do you, how do you even organize that information in, unique, in like a positive, productive way? Will you save me and do my job for me, Amanda? <laughs> is this actually your job? Can I blame you? Yeah, this is actually my job. You've noticed bad design. <laughs> See? <laughs> <sighs> but so is even something like a website layout, is that also just just part of what you're thinking about and trying to create that pleasing experience? Yeah, 
definitely. How someone navigates to the website when they land on a page. What type of information are they looking for? Why did they come here? And how can we surface that to the top? Yeah, that's that's pretty tricky. I've also heard people say, and I mostly buy this, that when people buy anything, there are certainly caveats to this, but when people buy anything, they're buying a feeling or like an experience of buying that thing more than the thing itself. And I think Nori is a good example of this because what what exactly are they buying a, mm-hmm. a barcode? <laughs> Even like offering a certificate to buyers is relatively new, right? That was like a big thing that we added. Mm-hmm. Uh, trying to create in real physical meat space, you're used to, you put cash on the barrel head, you get some sort of physical object back. How do you replicate that experience when it actually isn't truly necessary? Yeah, so we're trying to figure that out right now, actually, and finding, so demand team, Alessandra and G are talking with our current customers, and we're realizing the importance of having that concrete certificate as something that represents, again, the invisible thing that they're buying. So it's really helpful to bridge that gap. Yeah, this is part of your theme of making the invisible visible. Yeah, I didn't know I had a theme until this <laughs> show. We made one up. Welcome to podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> How do you know which of those things are important or not? Is it something that you just have deep in your artist's soul or is this a customer feedback kind of thing? Both? I think it's both. Yeah. Putting myself in the shoes of someone who's buying carbon removals. I don't know what I'm buying. What is it? I can't see it, right? And then from a business point of view, we're talking to our customers and we're hearing them say that this physical aspect is really important. Oh, that makes sense. Let's talk about the logo. That logo, how old is that? I think it might be, we worked with an agency back in the day, I think super early in Nori's origins. I think we actually had that built. We used to be called Giagora. Did you know that? No. <laughs> like the mixture of geo plus agora, like a marketplace or like an area where people exchange ideas and goods. Oh, wow. And then geo. It's a terrible name, right? Yeah. <laughs> I like Nori a lot more. <laughs> yeah. Nori, you know, four letters. It has more of like a, it's like imagistic in a way where Giagora is like telling you what it is. Yeah. I also don't think a lot of people would know what Giagora is either. <laughs> it's a, it's an Earth Agora, obviously. <laughs> you fool. Yeah. I'm glad we, that was our handle for the first hackathon that we did. I think if you listen to the first podcast that we produced ever for that hackathon, I think we also called ourselves Giagora in that too. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad that one didn't make it down the mountain <laughs> and we changed. But the old one, well, if you look in the show notes, you'll be able to see the old logo, the new one. And then Amanda wrote up a really great uh, Medium post called The Story Behind Nori's New Logo that explains some of the thinking behind why this needed to be updated at all. I don't know. Why don't we just work through this? What What went into making this new logo? I guess you started to tell us, but let's do it. <laughs> a lot went into making (laughs) this new logo. (laughs) So like I mentioned at the very beginning, it all started with preparing for our upcoming Nori token launch and realizing that the logo that we had today, the beautiful, endearingly funky Nori logo with the all caps Nori and the landscape, that wouldn't work for what we needed 
to grow into, which is our Nori token and really emphasizing the crypto aspect of Nori. So that's got the ball rolling. And again, it's always important to start with why and try to figure out like what problems are we trying to solve? So we identified the problem and then I realized, okay, what other, if we are going down this path, how can we make sure that this will set us up for success in the future? What other problems is our new logo causing that, or is our old logo causing that we should try to fix with our new logo? So I guess I did a little tear down of our logo to figure out what areas of improvement there were. Some of the concerns that I see you've raised here are practical. Like for some uses, the logo was illegible or just not elegant enough. Some of them are more for where it's going. Some of the reasons are even somewhat more abstract than that. It's it's a mix of both, right? Mm-hmm. What were some of these practical concerns? So practical concerns were that as we've gotten more partnerships, we've seen our logo being used in many, many different ways. And our logo hasn't been able to flex and fit those different types of spaces. More specifically, it looks pretty bad at small sizes because you couldn't see what was happening in the little mountain. You could definitely see the nori, but everything else was pretty blurry. What even is it? I have it pulled up real close. <laughs> and I'm, I'm tr- if I had fresh eyes, it just looks abstract to me. <laughs> it's, a, it's a mountain in a river is what I would guess. Would you actually yes. g- guess that? You would? Yeah. Okay, I guess. I guess it's on my laptop too. Yeah. Oh, it is. I would see it. That's easier to see, though. When I'm looking at this on the screen, though, look at this. Like, if you imagine yourself. Oh, yeah. What, is, what are you looking at? Mm-hmm. I see a, an organic looking rounded line squiggle thing and a couple of hard lines in different colors. <laughs> yeah. So at small sizes. Yeah. I can't imagine that being very useful. Mm-mm. And then because we're mostly used in the digital world, we need to be able to shrink down to these really, really small sizes and be legible. So for instance, when we launch our Nori token on these exchanges, that icon will be really small. So we need to make sure that our new logo will stand up to that size. Yeah. And there are things too in here, like in the layers, the actual text is behind the mountains. Mm -hmm. That probably doesn't help legibility very much. No, definitely not. The yellow gets pretty smushed up in there i think if i were the agency who designed this originally i would just cringe my entire way through this episode <laughs> oh no i'm sorry <laughs> you served us i well. don't mean to offend you you did serve us well it's just time to move on <laughs> and so this this new logo though you asked me to for notes on this which it was fun for me to to participate in mostly to learn how designers think and you specifically think about this it's hard to put a lot of this in, into words how would you describe this new logo. And by the way, if you're listening to this and it doesn't make sense, you can look at pictures through links to Amanda's article on Medium in the show notes. So yeah, restating that. How did you end up with this version and what is different about it? Oh man. So we ended up at this version through a lot of trial and error, a lot of feedback and a lot of different explorations. And ultimately we landed here because we wanted to serve two audiences, which would be our climate and our cryptocurrency audience. Our previous logo 
skewed a little too far to our climate community and not enough to our crypto community. So for this one, we really wanted to make sure it matched both. And because we are a marketplace, we wanted it to be extremely simple so that it, the message is immediately understood. So nitpicking or just picking apart the different parts of the logo, yeah, we have do. the orange arrow. And the orange arrow, we decided to make it orange because that symbolizes action. So looking at some color theory there. So it's the action of removing carbon, which is basically what Nori focuses on. And it's great that it's going in the other way because that is removing the carbon from the blue. So the blue, which is the mountain, it's really stable and you want a marketplace to be stable. So that reinforces our color choices there. But the blue mountains, not only do they represent the landscape surrounding Seattle, which is where Nori's HQ is, it also represents nature and the earth. And it doesn't favor a specific carbon removal methodology because Nori wants, Nori's marketplace will grow to include multiple different types of methodologies. So much to talk about there. <laughs> the circle shape lends itself to both the climate and the crypto because the climate side the circle represents the earth and the crypto side, the circle represents an actual cryptocurrency and a coin. So that's why we're using that as our Nori token symbol. I buy all of that. <laughs> that all sounds pretty plausible to me. I want to talk about color theory for a second. Sure. That's a thing. Yeah. It's a real thing. Mm -hmm. I guess I've never thought about this in a way. Well, how should I put it? Our relationship to colors, surely that must be culturally specific, right? Are there places where the colors that you've chosen will will signify the opposite of what you intended? I hope not, but there's so many different cultures in the world, so I wouldn't rule it out. You, you wouldn't be like, oh, in, in Pakistan, this is just like <laughs> this is like the worst combination. That would you be could horrible. Choose. Okay, that's very interesting. But for how do they do that? Is that when, are you thinking about colors in terms of like um, the United States? Is it a, a Euro-American thing? Is it a Western Hemisphere thing? Do you have any idea how specific it, it actually gets? I'm not super sure of the specifics, but I do know that Nori is pretty much mainly active in the United States and the European area, so keeping it more towards Western culture. I know that in Eastern culture... Taking a specific example, so white represents death. And in our culture, in the Western culture, black represents death. So there's definitely some nuances there to be careful of. That's a great example. Did you have to think about this that hard? Or was it okay to just put that aside and be like, blue and orange kind of signify stability plus dynamism? Yeah, I wanted to focus mainly on that. and. It also incorporates our previous logos colors as well. I didn't want to go completely out of left field and make this like purple or green because we still uh, want it to uh, be like Nori. <laughs> that's true. There's a, there's a, a strong sense of continuity mm -hmm. here. If you did go purple and green, I would feel like uh, you're taking my company away. Yeah, I know. I wouldn't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the Nori I've, I've learned to know and love? 
because that orange and blue are just so deep in my brain at this mm-hmm. point. When companies rebrand or, or redo their logo, do they oftentimes switch palettes dramatically like that? Or is it more variations on a theme? I think it could go either way. It's really up to the company. Have there been any totally out of, I feel like Google's an example where they keep the colors the same, mm-hmm. right? And they keep changing the, I don't, why do they do that, by the way? I don't, do they need to keep changing it? The logo? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> how, how often does a company need to? It's like every time I, I notice it again, I'm like, is this, has it always been this way? Mm-hmm. Is this just job security for designers? Yes. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I assume the company is growing and just like Nori, we're also growing. So we need our brand to go re- grow with us. <laughs> Are you hoping to get hired by Google? (laughs) (laughs) Giving a very diplomatic answer. (laughs) No comment. Okay. That's cool. Is there anything else to say about some of these choices here? I'm trying to think. It's definitely simpler. There's less Mm -hmm. elements and like the old Nori logo has depth to it. There's layers. There's things that are behind others. This is just straight up two-dimensional, right? Yep. With a three-dimensional feel with the tapering of the arrow that's true it's oh. really subtle yeah and the the tapering too that was the one where when we were talking i was like what is it about the untapered one that... <laughs> and some of the spacing too made me feel really unpleasant i feel like you nailed this one but uh, it also is hard to give give notes in this design framework where you're like this one makes me unaccountably <laughs> icky feeling and you're like cool i'm gonna write that down as if a serious person said that to me (laughs) (laughs) well it was it's definitely helpful to get outside feedback that is not from a designer's brains because then it's more about the feeling and the general vibe that you get from the image whereas if i'm looking at towards designers for more feedback i'll be looking for more specific oh what about this radius or this spacing or the shape of this this tiny little point so very specific more specific design elements in that case yeah you didn't ask me about any radius <laughs> radii <Yeah>. radii radii <laughs> do i want to talk about that parks and rec clip <laughs> <laughs> of tom tom looking at the abstract expressionism <laughs> these shapes give me a sense of completeness yeah that was good it's hard to give some of this feedback i feel like i one of the reasons why I like speaking with you and designers in general is that there's this whole language about the visual grammar <laughs> of how these things interact that I feel like the average person has almost no practice doing so and interacting with that. It's really fun to try to think about it for better or for worse. I'm sure you've also received some notes from uh, people who think they have an eye for design. You're like, mm, cool, <laughs> cool idea. <laughs> but that wasn't at Nori, right? No, not at all. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I wanted to talk about hiring too. We are hiring a bunch. If you like the timbre of this conversation, there's a lot of them that happen at Nori. And it's a fun place to hang out and to use your brain in novel ways. Probably agree, right? I'm not putting words in your mouth. No, yeah, I agree. (laughs) (laughs) That's actually how, this is how actually how I found out about Nori's was through the podcast. Yeah, I always forget that. (laughs) That's how Sean found out about it, too. And Gio. Mm-hmm. And uh, surely there must be a couple others. That's cool. So then this is truly full circle. Yeah. I didn't <laughs> think about that until now, either. I'm learning a lot on this podcast. 
all the the wacky ways in which we make it work. Yeah. Um, so there's jobs posted, nori.com slash careers. We're hiring for a ton of roles right now. And you can also sign up for our newsletter on the site, nori.com slash subscribe, I believe it is, but it's also just on the on the homepage and various other ones. You can keep up to date for learning more and applying for jobs. Um, we have a pretty rigorous hiring process too. Did you have to go through the entire gauntlet that we make people go through? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're really we're really invested in finding the right people for jobs and when you come here we don't really want you to leave (laughs) hang on as long as possible if you made it if you made it through and we're like a full yes to this then but anyways we need people so if you like nori you like what we do come join us are we doing any designer roles is that coming up at all do you have any idea that will be coming up but it will be after we hire more of our product and engineering positions i think the per capita design listenership of this episode is probably going to be greater than average just because it's a design centric episode. So hopefully, hopefully (laughs) uh, if you're on, on the job market, willing to live in Seattle, definitely, definitely apply. Well, thanks for being on the show, Amanda. (laughs) (laughs) Return the thanks. (laughs) I was like, was there more? (laughs) I was going to go back and forth. Well, thanks, Amanda, for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for involving me in the design process. It was super fun. Taught me a lot. Always like learning from you. Uh, And if you like the show, please give us a great rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Uh, Tell your friends. If you know someone who's on the job hunt who wants to work in climate change, tell them about us. Tell them about our careers page and the roles that we are hiring for. And thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for listening. If you could please subscribe and give us a great rating and review on Apple Podcasts or a rating on Spotify, that'd be much appreciated. It helps us get our content out to more people. You can sign up for our newsletter at nori.com, follow us on social media, and we will catch you next time.